There are information cards in the back next to our tithe box, actually next to the camera right now. And if you'll fill out one of those information cards after the service, we will get in touch with you and uh, and let you know about it. Okay, so now we're going to get back into our series as we move towards Easter. The, the road to the cross, uh, we've been studying now in John chapter 12. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open to John chapter 12. And as we came to this passage, it's the closing of Jesus' public ministry. It's the, it's, he, in, in fact, we're in the passage where Jesus is giving His final public instruction. And as He does that, He has taught and illustrated basically what this road looked like, what this road to the cross accomplished, um, and, and, and what it was about doing. And as we come to the close of that today, we will see the response of people to it. And so, uh, as I said, we'll be in John chapter 12. Um, and it's going to be, we're going to start in verse 30. I'm sorry. I got a little mixed up. I almost told you 23, but we'll get back to that in a minute. But let me give you the, the understanding, and let's get the perspective again of, of what we've seen illustrated. We've seen that the road to the cross was one of self-denial. Jesus did not come, first and foremost, to bring glory to Himself. He would be exalted in the cross. He would be uh, uh, lifted up, and, and, and that would happen. But His first purpose was to see the Father glorified and to see His Father exalted and His Father worshipped. And, and that's what He said this was about. The road to the cross was one of self-denial. It was not first and foremost about Him. It, it cost Him greatly. The road to the cross accomplished certain things. And first and foremost, what it did accomplish was it glorified God. It glorified the Father. It glorified Him in that, in that not that He was excited or made it joyful because of the price that He had to pay and the sacrifice of His own Son, but what happened was that He was giving forgiveness. He was overlooking sin. And in doing that, He remained righteous and holy because sin was not overlooked and forgotten and wiped under and, and pushed under a rug but the price that was owed was paid. The offense was met. And so it glorified God the Father. The road to the cross showed condemnation of the world, the just and deserved condemnation of the world. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve to, to, uh, to, to receive judgment. That's what our sin has earned us. And, and the road to the cross accomplished a victory. What appeared to be a, a, a death or, or, or a defeat, the road to the cross demonstrated and won the victory. What, what, what started, and at least for a time, appeared to people to be a defeat, resulted in great victory. And we'll, we will touch on that again today. And then as we saw last week, the road to the cross did accomplish the exalting of Jesus Christ the Son because He becomes the central figure in salvation. He becomes that person and that, that central place that we look to. And now in our culture, He's what divides us from all the other world religions. If you think about this, in all the other world religions, in all other places, the thought is, is how I can make my way to God. That's the motivation. That's the perspective. How can I find my way to God? In Christianity, God came to us. Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us, put on flesh, and lived 
among us. He came here. And now as the central figure, the, the central representation of God's justice and His righteousness and His love and His mercy. And in the cross, the cross accomplished the exalting of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God of very God. And now today, as we come to the end of this passage and we hear the response and hear what the Jews had to say in the end of it, we'll see some of their fault, but we will see their question answered. So if, you'll, if you've got your Bible, John chapter 12, verse 30, and we'll read through verse 34. It says this, Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. If you remember in the verses before, God has spoken out loud from heaven. And He says, I have glorified it. He's talking about glorifying Himself and glorifying His name. And He says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. He said, this, he said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. So <clears throat> the crowd answered Him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Before we get into the bulk of answering that question, I think there's some things we need to understand about this passage. And the first I think we need to look at is the Son of Man. And we could pick this apart and we could try and dissect it, but, but it's done nowhere for us in Scripture that way. It's, it's never shown to us exactly what Jesus means when He uses this term referring to Himself. He never sits down and teaches someone, okay, I'm using this term son and this term man and I'm referring to myself in this way because. Theologians have done it. They've talked about it. And if you want to study that, go for it. But right now, what I want you to understand is that Jesus used this term referring to Himself. He's, he, in fact, He's the only one in the Gospels that use it, and He's referring to Himself in that way. It's His favorite term for Himself, as, as we see it demonstrated throughout all of the Gospels. And as, as He uses that, as, as He speaks about it, He's the one that introduces that term to the Jews. And so as they begin to, to say, hey, how, who's the Son of Man? He's the one that showed him this turn. He's the one that introduced it to him. In fact, in this very conversation, if you were to look back up at verse 23, if you have your Bibles open, he is the one that says, Now is my soul troubled. Oh, sorry, that's not verse 23. <laughs> and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so he enters this conversation by starting with giving this title, the Son of Man. He's the one that, that puts it out there. He's the one that draws it into this context. And he's the one that puts it in front of the Jews. So as they begin to use it and, and, and pick it apart, and they, they, they begin to compare it to the Christ and the, and, and the idea of a Messiah, he's the one that brought it there. He also talks about being lifted up. And I, when I am lifted up, and as he does that, John tells us that the very thing he's doing there is, is referring to the way that he's going to die. And, I, and honestly, I think that's more for us than it was for them. They didn't have John's commentary. You know, they didn't have John saying, oh, hey, by the way, catch this. 
He's saying this because he's going to die this way. But they picked up on it. They understood it to be something about death. And, and whether it's because John has left out some sort of, or some part of this conversation, we're not hearing the whole thing. Or it could be that this is some phrase that, that they recognized in their culture, in their context, in their language. That, that that's what he was referring to. Maybe they, they referred to death on a cross by being lifted up. Uh, we, we won't know. But the reality is, is that they understood it. And so they take this thought about the Son of Man, they take this thought about the about being lifted up, and they start to tie them together, and, and, and they even take the Son of Man and the Christ, which is their Messiah, their understanding of the Messiah, the Anointed One, if you were to go back into Hebrew, or to the Septuagint really, which is the Greek translation of the entire Scripture, or the Old Testament, I guess I should say, as, as you read that, the Messiah would have been translated in Greek as the Christ. And so that's the word that they're looking of. That's the word that they're thinking of. That's the thing is that they're looking for the, the anointed one, the one that's chosen of God to come and lead them out and, and, and be a king. And so they take that term, son of man, that term, the, 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 the Christ and the term being lifted up and they begin to compare them all together. And they put them all in the same place and they say, okay, wait just a second. So you're saying the Son of Man has got to be lifted up. But we know, we know from what we've been taught that the Christ is going to reign forever. Something's not adding up here to us. We're not, we're not getting what you're saying. We're not picking up what you're laying down. We don't get it. Because in our law, in our law, He's supposed to be a king that reigns forever. Who is this Son of Man? Now, I want you to understand something. I want you to, I want you to hear something. Because I believe that in their teaching, when they heard Son of Man, they connected it with the thoughts of the Messiah. And here's why I think that. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, Daniel is, is prophesying and he's pointing towards a day when the Messiah will come. And it says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, that the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom one <coughs> is one that shall not be destroyed. Now, if you think about that prophecy, and, and let me tell you that these people lived this stuff. They were so longing to see the Messiah. They were anxiously awaiting their Christ. That it, it, it's not beyond comprehension or beyond our imagination to think that as they speak of this Son of Man and this Christ being a King forever, that a prophecy like this, that sounds so similar, that sounds so like it matches so perfectly, it's not beyond comprehension that this is what they're referring to, that this is what they're thinking of. You're talking about this Son of Man, 
We're thinking of the Messiah and we're, we're expecting Him to reign forever. To establish a kingdom that will never end. And yet you say He's going to die. We don't get it. We don't understand it. Before I say this, I want you to understand I'm not going, not intending to insult the Jews. Not intending in the wording that I'm going to choose to, to do anything other than demonstrate that they didn't have a complete understanding. You see, they were ignorant of the Scriptures. doesn't mean they were stupid. doesn't mean that they, that they couldn't learn, that they didn't have an ability to learn. They just didn't have an understanding. You see, it's like this. I wouldn't expect any of you to understand the autopilot system of an aircraft like I do. I work with them every day. I wouldn't expect you to understand how an airplane actually leaves the ground like I do. I wouldn't expect to understand the things that you deal with every day. You see, I'm ignorant of the things that you work with and deal with daily. I'm ignorant of those things. It's not bad in and of itself to be ignorant of certain things. It's the reality of who we are. We can't know everything. Ignorance is not really the problem here. The problem came in that they were accepting an incomplete or twisted interpretation of the Scripture. You see, if anyone should have known, they should have known. If anyone could see it, they should have seen it. They had the Scriptures. They had the prophecies. In fact, in fact they looked to them regularly. They, they, they thought on them regularly. And they compared Christ to them constantly. As He worked and, and, and did miracles and, and they saw this power in Him, but they, they, He wasn't meeting their expectations. Maybe you've heard this thought before, but, but they really believed that Jesus was going to come in and, and that He was going to establish some kingdom and that, that He was going to come in and, and pull them out from underneath the, the, the oppression of Rome and, and establish this kingdom that put them above all other kingdoms and made them a nation that would be looked at and exalted. You see, they were, they were either twisting their interpretation completely, making them about themselves, making it about themselves, or they were completely ignoring other Scriptures that demonstrated that before the Christ would reign, He would be a suffering Savior. You see, because there's prophecies in there that refer to that as well. Isaiah 53 This is one that's referred to often in this, in, in this context. Beginning in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not sounds a little different than the last prophecy from Daniel, doesn't it? Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seen Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away. And as for His generation who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of My people. He keeps going. It's much different. But it's a, it, it, it's a much different perspective than Daniel, but it's among their prophecies. It's among their word. And, and, and if they're going to hang on to one, they must hang on to the other and they must understand them to both be true. Before Jesus Christ would be a reigning king, He had to be a suffering Savior. Yet they ignored these Scriptures. They, they either twisted them to make them appear to be something else or they ignored them altogether. You know, and the reality is that unfortunately, we continue to have this problem ourselves. It would be nice if we could sit here and say, oh, yeah, there's Jews, they just missed it, they messed it up. They forgot. But this is a problem that continues today. In our culture, in our world today, the best-selling book of all time is the Bible. As I did some research on this, I found that the, that the estimates are somewhere between 2.5 billion and 6 billion copies. That's a lot of copies. Billion. 2.5 to 6 billion. You want to know the closest second? Chairman Mao's little red book. You know who Chairman Mao was? He ruled in China. He was a communist leader. His little red book, 800 million. The Bible leads the, the, the closest second by over a billion copies. We don't have an excuse not to know the truth. The truth is out there. And I'm not talking about the X-Files either. The truth is in here. And there is no reason why we shouldn't know it. But, we have people who read and ignore verses because they don't know what to do with them. Or they're hard to understand. Let me give you an example. Back in John chapter 12, in fact, I'm, I'm waiting until after Easter to deal with this. But listen to this prophecy. So the word was spoken by the prophet, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 
Lord, who has believed what He heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. You know what makes this so hard for people to deal with? Because the first portion in John chapter 12, the first portion that's in verse 38 of of Isaiah's prophecy demonstrates that the glory of God has been revealed to everyone. Who's it been revealed to? It's not been hidden from anyone. But they couldn't believe because He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Who do you think that He is? God Himself. It's a difficult passage. It's hard for people to deal with that. It doesn't feel right. Because we sit and we listen to teachers who who ignore passages like this, who don't want to deal with passages that are difficult. I I read from John Wesley as 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 I study. Sometimes. And I'm not about to say that John Wesley wasn't a believer. That's between him and God. But you come to passages like this, and I can't speak for him on this one. I didn't look this up. But but you come to passages like this often in his writings, and he completely skips them. And it might be possible that there's people who are sitting in the room who have been influenced greatly because of John Wesley's work in the Christian world. I'm not trying to tear him down as a man. I'm just saying that there's passages that he's overlooked. Contemporary teachers every day twist passages to make it sound as if, as if we have God as our servant. We, 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 we have this this idea in, 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 in health and wealth teaching, for example. In fact, there's this one guy, I can't think of his name, oh, I wish I could, because you need to know. But there's this one guy, every time I come across him on the TV, and I don't get, I don't, I don't get uh, a, a religious channel, we got an antenna, and so we don't get a religious channel, but anytime I'm around and I get this, get this guy on the TV, he's always talking about the same thing. He takes any passage of the Bible and he, t- he breaks it down into seven or eight steps about how you can get rich by planting a seed of faith. If you send me $1,000, God's going to give it back to you with interest. And he twists these Scriptures to make it sound true and to make it sound right. And there's these Word of Faith people that, 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 that they say if you just Speak it enough or you just believe it enough that you can create your own reality. And you can make this world be what you want it to be. If you just believe enough. And they take these Scriptures and they twist them to mean what they want them to mean. And they amass a huge following. And the same could be said for the people that skip Scriptures because they're hard to deal with. 
And you know why they win and succeed and even mislead Christian people? This is where it gets personal. Because in number three, how many of us pick up our Bible when we're not in church? I get teased a lot because I leave this Bible here a lot. And I'm not saying this because I feel like you need to know. I'm just using it as an illustration. This is a Bible I used to preach from. That's it. I have a Bible that I read regularly. And I study regularly. And you know why when I hear someone twisting something, I can hear it and catch it? Because I've spent time reading. And the Holy Spirit's using His Word in me to keep me on the straight and narrow. How many of us, it's not always been this way for me, how many of us will leave today, put our Bible in the back seat of our car, maybe the only Bible you own, and not pick it up again until it's time to walk in here next Sunday See, we can't point our finger at the Jews. If anyone should have known that they were standing there looking at the Messiah, it should have been the Jews. But they didn't. And as Jesus taught, and as Jesus worked miracles that were amazing and powerful, and I just wish, I wish that I could have seen them. I wish that I could have seen a lame man get up and walk. I wish that I could have known this blind man that had been born blind come to see. I wish so desperately that I could see this guy with a lame arm just stretch out and grow and become productive. I long for something like that. I hear stories of it. I wish I could see it. I have a friend who who has this condition and every now and then, the nerves in his body, they just frail and they break. And he loses complete control of his arms. He has no ability to move his arms. He's lost jobs because of that. His hands? They're almost useless. Now I have almost no strength in them. He's a mechanic. He's building his own house. I don't understand it. I pray. I would love to see the strength in his body just be given to him, just just put back in him. I long for that. And they saw it. And they experienced it. And yet they didn't know it. And they didn't believe. And they saw him. And they heard him teaching. And they turned their back on him. And they denied him. But if anyone should have known, they should have, right? Anyone should know. We should. 2.5 billion to 6 billion copies. There is no excuse for us not to know this truth. There is no reason we shouldn't know. There is no reason we shouldn't be able to hear someone misusing the Scriptures. (laughs) 
So I think that really puts us in this place that maybe we should hear the answer to who is the Son of Man? Who is this Son of Man? Can't you understand now? Now, now that you understand where they're at, now that you understand and feel, their, feel the weight of what they're dealing with, can't you understand this question? Who is this Son of Man? We've always pictured Him in this way. We've always expected this person. Who is this Son of Man? I think there's some things that we can take from this text and from their perspectives and from the prophecies revealed that will help us to understand it. One of the things I love about the book of John is as John shares what Jesus did, his perspective, his first perspective is not to just demonstrate the works of Christ. He does tell us that He worked miracles. He does tell us the teachings of Christ. First and foremost, John is telling us who Jesus is. Who is the Son of Man? Well, the Jews got it right. Jesus was to be an eternal king. He was to be an eternal king. And I'm going to turn over to um, Revelation chapter 19. If, if you want to turn over to that, I'm going to read a lot from this. If you've got your Bible. I would have put it on the screen, but there's so much that... It's just, it's, I'm just going to ask you to follow along in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to look on with someone who does so that you can pay attention. As you're getting there, let me just, let me just skip a, a, cu- a couple of things in Scripture or skip through Scripture just a little bit and help you understand. Daniel did prophesy that Jesus Christ or that the Son of Man would be coming and He would establish a kingdom that would be everlasting, a dominion that would not be that would not be overthrown. And he did say that it would be comprised of all nations, of all tongues, of all tribes, of all people. And, and, and they would all serve this, this God, this, this Son of Man. And then we come to the close of, of Matthew and, he, and, and Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. You see, not only did Jesus come to, to be a Savior, but He came and established a kingdom. A kingdom that would last forever. He truly is the one that Daniel was prophesying about. And just before He sent His people on a mission, He tells them, all authority has been given to Me. I am standing here telling you to go. Make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who has that authority? He has that authority. So we see it prophesied in the old. We see it revealed in the new and then prophesied again. In Revelation 19, this is, oh man, this is absolutely beautiful. Listen to verse 16. Or actually, no, I'm going to... I'm going to read to you about the rider on a white horse. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in, his, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word. Of God. Think back to John chapter 1. 
verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then he goes down into verse 14 and he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, these correlations are happening because we're reading about Jesus Christ. This is Jesus. And it goes on to say, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on His robe. And on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This king that's coming, this Jesus Christ, he is going to be an eternal king. He is going to be a warrior that wins the battle and king that rules his kingdom forever. It will never end. Look over in verse, uh, or I'm sorry, in chapter 21, after it speaks about the, the victory, the thousand-year reign, the defeat of Satan. And in verse 21, or in chapter 21, starting in verse 1, when, when all of this work is done, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. I love this part. Because all those things I long for to see my friend that that deals with this condition... Going to be an end. There is going to be an end put to it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, you see, this is the king. He's sitting on a throne and He's ruling. And He says, Behold, I am making all things new. There's victory. There's a kingdom established that will never end. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without pain. And as that comes up, I think we, ask, we might as well just tie it in. So just flip over to chapter 22. And beginning in verse 1 of 22, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. 
and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And John, as he's writing this book and hearing this truth, he's told to write it, to not keep it secret, to make sure everyone knows it. And Jesus says this in chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to to repay everyone for what He has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is and will be a reigning King. And there is nothing that's going to change that. Who is the Son of Man? He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is the Son of Man? He's to be a suffering Savior. Isaiah, we read that already, you know, where, where, where all of our afflictions, He suffered for our afflictions, for our iniquities. God put on Him our sin and our debt. He suffered for us in our place because of our sin. He faced the cross because we were to be redeemed for our redemption. Our reconciliation to God had to be mediated through the death of Jesus Christ. He is God's righteousness revealed. And God's justification for the forgiveness of sins. If God had swept our sin under the rug and ignored it, He would not be a righteous God. But He remained righteous as His Son accepted our payment. Who is this Son of Man? He was the one that had always been prophesied about. You know, it's interesting, and and as, as many times as I've read through the book of John, I could be saying this incorrectly. As I've studied through it, I don't believe I am. But it's not until John chapter 12 that that John begins to share anything of prophecy. It's at this point that all the prophecies, and and you can find several after that. This happened to see this fulfilled. This happened because of this. But until this point, there's only one earlier before this, this last one I read to you. And it's in John chapter 12. These things happened for a reason. There was no surprises. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, He was the prophesied Messiah. He was the one that the Jews were looking for. He was the one who has come not simply to redeem them, but to redeem all the nations. To bring forgiveness to all people. And who is this Son of Man? He was and remains to this day and always will be God. You got your Bible still to John chapter 12. Look at the very end of John 12, beginning in verse 44. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Anyone who hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my authority, but the Father who sent me 
has given himself, has himself given to me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. Anyone who sees Jesus has seen the Father. Anyone who sees and believes in Jesus believes in the one who sent him. Over and over and over, Jesus says things throughout the Gospel of John that demonstrate that He and the Father are one. Not simply on the same mission. Not simply doing the same things. But they're one. How we reconcile that in our minds is extremely difficult to to have a solid answer. Anything we might illustrate it with falls short. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is God, a very God. And He will always be a ruined King and a Savior who suffered for us, who had been prophesied from the very beginning of time. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As you consider what's been said, I just want to ask you, honestly, maybe bluntly, did you already know these things? If anyone should know, we should know. As you consider these things, it's not my 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 heart's desire to lump on you guilt to go and read your Bible. But I do pray and have prayed that you'd feel conviction of the Holy Spirit to know His Word. Maybe today you've you've heard of who this Son of Man is and heard this question answered. And maybe today you've come to believe. And you need to respond to that. You need to repent Turn from your sin and worship Jesus Christ, the God who saves you. However you need to respond, I just I ask that you consider it now in prayer, that you would uh, that you would engage him. If he if his spirit engages you, that you'd respond rightly. Father. You are so good to us. Your grace is truly amazing and awe-inspiring. You loved us enough that You sent Your Son and, and Jesus. You put on flesh and dwelt among us and humbled Yourself to death, even death on a cross for our sake, for our sin. Help us to know You. Help us to respond to Your truth. Help us to walk with You, to follow You, to worship You and You alone. Speak to us through the power of Your Spirit that that we might hear, that we might see the truth, we might get up and walk in it. Pray for each heart in this room. That you would put the pressure where it needs to be. That you would that you would show them what it is you have for them. 
and help us to respond. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you got things going on in your life and you want to pray, this is what this time is going to be about. We don't, for those that are visiting, we don't have an invitation per se. We worship. There'll be some songs played and, and, and we worship. And every week, there's a call to respond in some way. Maybe you want to do that sitting in your chair, praying. Maybe you want to do that by standing up and singing and raising your hands and being excited about what He's done for you. Maybe you want to do that by grabbing hold of somebody, even if it's somebody you don't know, and praying with them. Or asking them to pray for you. I don't know what He's put on your heart. I don't know how He's working in you. But every time His Word goes out, He uses it for His purpose. And so I know that there's people that need to respond to that. If you have questions about what's going on, I'll be here for as long as I need to be. Um, Just let me know. Otherwise, let's worship our Savior and thank Him for what He's done.